Hi, um, I'm back again. I'm going to start teaching a little series on the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon that Jesus taught on a mountain. So it's called the Sermon on the Mount, and it's a special uh, special sermon that Jesus pulled his disciples away and taught them, pulled them away up on a mountain and taught them. And it's recorded in, uh, I'm going to be teaching it from the book of Matthew, and it's in the fifth chapter. And um, it's very well known, and uh, the first part is called the Beatitudes. And it talks about people, certain groups of people that are blessed. And one of the uh, words, the way that uh, the definitions for that word blessed in the Greek is called supreme blessedness. So I'm going to call this series <clears throat> Supreme Blessedness, and we all want, want to be supremely blessed, don't we? So I'm going to start in Matthew 5, the first chapter, and it says, One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. Now see, as I said, it's called the Sermon on the Mount because he taught it on a mountainside. That's very simple. The Sermon on the Mount is a teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples. He didn't give this to the massive groups of people um, who came to hear him. He gave it to the, his closer followers. And the Sermon on the Mount itself goes from Matthew 5, verse 3, all the way to Matthew 7, verse 28. And sometimes we wonder, well, why is the Sermon on the Mount so important? And I'll give you a few reasons. These are the words of Jesus. And um, Jesus gave us these words, and he died to enable us to live these words. And when I read the Sermon on the Mount, my eyes just get bigger and bigger and bigger, and my mouth hangs open in disbelief and in shame and despair at how I don't measure up and how could I really even handle doing any of this. And the Sermon on the Mount shows us, there's nothing that shows us the absolute and ultimate need for the new birth, the Holy Spirit, the Savior, and his work in us more than, more than this passage of Scripture, I don't believe. And the more you read it, the more you study it, the more the, you do what it says, the more you'll receive the blessings that are promised in it. So live it, practice it, and give yourself to it, and the more uh, the promised blessings will come to you. There's two sections in the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 5, verses 3 through 14, it's called the Beatitudes, which means, as I said, supreme blessedness. Yay! And these verses have to do with the things that are on the inside of us, our spiritual birth, our spiritual health, our character, and our maturity. They tell us what's going on in our inner man, and those are the things that I'm going to be talking about. And then the rest of the Sermon on the Mount deal with how we live out what's on the inside of us. It tells us how we should be acting as Christians. It's goals that we should strive for and uh, attitudes that we should have and actions that we should have. 
And so we find out in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus didn't leave us in the, leave us in the dark. It tells us what our character should be and what our conduct should, should be. And we also find out that what's on the inside of us, our character, will determine what comes out, or in other words, our conduct. In Matthew 7, 17, it says, Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. So as we read this, just remember that the first part of the Sermon on the Mount has to do with our insides. So we want to make sure that our insides are good so that what comes on the outside is good. And I also want to um, say that, you know, the Sermon on the Mount is not a list of rules and regulations that we have to follow step-by-step uh, step to attain heaven. But it's Jesus just telling us, you know, um, how we should attain a close personal relationship with him and uh, be pleasing to him. And we're going to start reading, and it's really um, interesting. Notice these verses, many of these verses, there's an apparent negative before there's a positive, which is kind of kind of odd. So starting in Matthew 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So you see there's, sounds like a really sad thing, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It seems like a sad thing and then a happy thing. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your kingdom and reward in heaven. For uh, in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These verses are really the foundation of Christianity. Jesus tells us about nine groups of people who are blessed. So these the people that are blessed are those who are poor in spirit, people who mourn, people who are meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are merciful, who are pure in heart, who are peacemakers, and those who are persecuted for righteousness and who are insulted. All these people are blessed according to Jesus. Now that word blessed there means to have a sense of joy or happiness that comes from knowing we stand approved before God. Happy, joyous, well-off, a true state of well-being, possessing the favor of God, spiritually prosperous, supremely blessed. I like that, don't you? So let's look at the first one. It says, Matthew 5, 3, says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, Jesus was speaking to his disciples, and the disciples were waiting 
for their Messiah. They were waiting for their deliverer. And in that culture of that day, in that religious culture, most of those people thought that their Messiah was going to come through a show of power, through military strength, a mighty upheaval of, of, of military and political power. Um, some of his disciples were what uh, was called zealots. They were looking for a Messiah that was going to get rid of the Roman Empire and restore Israel to, to uh, its status as a nation and to political power. So um, the first type of person Jesus said would be blessed were those who were poor in spirit. So basically, um, this was a slap in the face to everything that they believed about the Messiah and his coming kingdom. And, you know, we don't really comprehend in our day and age exactly what, what a letdown that was to his disciples. That word poor in the Greek means absolute poverty, having nothing at all. And a lot of times we just <clears throat> think of it in the natural, you know, meaning we don't have any money. But what Jesus was talking about was that we have to come to God with nothing at all, realizing our sin and our desperate need for him. In Matthew 5, uh, 3, in the um, NLT, it says, God blesses those who are poor in spirit. Uh, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Let me read that again. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I'm going to give you two examples that Jesus gave in the New Testament about the difference between people who are poor in spirit and people who are not. In Luke 18, verse 10, it says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast uh, twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, the tax collector and the Pharisee um, demonstrated uh, someone who had inner righteousness and someone who had outer righteousness. The Pharisee did everything right on the outside. He had all the religious jargon down right. He, he um, did all the religious ceremonies right. He lived right. But on the inside, he was stinky. But the tax collector, everything on the outside was stinky. But he knew he was he he knew how bad he was, and he knew he needed a savior. And he repented, and he came to God, poor in spirit. And the Bible says Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven was his. See, the Pharisee did everything right, and they were confident in their own righteousness. They were perfect according to their own mind. And um, they knew the word of God inside out, but it didn't affect their hearts, which is really sad.
Now, the tax collector, we think of the IRS in our society, but the tax collector in their society was far, far worse. A tax collector in Jesus' time was grouped with the pimps, the prostitutes, the sex traffickers. Um, he was a mafia-style person. He was a traitor to the Jews. He was the scum of society. Um, and this type of person could more likely sense their desperate situation and their tremendous need for a savior and find it easier to cry out to God for God's mercy. And this is the kind of poverty and bankruptcy of spirit and soul that Jesus was talking about, having a deep sense of need for God. Another example is in Luke 7, <coughs> excuse me, verse 36. It says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, and that she is a sinner. Of course, the Pharisee didn't consider himself a sinner, thus had no need for a savior. When people have the religion of a Pharisee, it is usually characterized by what they don't do. You know, I've heard Christians that have been Christians for many years um, be very self-righteous. You know, I've been a Christian for 40, 40 years. You can't tell me anything, you know. And they've, they've just put themselves in the category of the Pharisees. We're all sinful and we all need a Savior. We all need to be broken before God. You know, uh, I read someplace that there are two places that have lots of crosses are stars of David and no sin at all, no noticeable sin at all. One is a self-righteous person and the other is a cemetery. Both are stone cold dead. And we don't want to be in that spot. When Jesus was talking about poor in spirit, he was talking about a bankruptcy, a desperate need, and a sensing of that need for God. If we don't need God, we don't come to him. And if we don't come to him knowing we are lost and without, without him, we can never really know him. Until a person's spirit has been touched, and made alive and energized by God's spirit, he is truly spiritually dead. It is not until a person recognizes the poverty of his own spirit that there is any possibility of him coming to know God. So those who are poor in spirit are supremely blessed with the promise of the kingdom of God. So I just want to encourage you on that first part, those who 
those who are poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of God. If you've never uh, come to God with a repentant heart, if you've never come to him realizing, you know, that you're broken in spirit, just come to him today, confess your sins, and call on him and ask him to become the Lord and Savior of your life. 